0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up community. Julie here. On this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Yanin San Luis, better known as Yanni. Yanni is CEO of the Win Woman an expert in sales and negotiation, helping forward-thinking nonprofits and corporate foundations maximize revenue, impact, and effectiveness. Yanni has taught her fail-proof negotiation framework to hundreds of marketing students at Florida International University. I guarantee her energy and passion will motivate you to learn more. You can find Yanni on LinkedIn and her website, Thewinwoman.com. Now sit back, grab your favorite glass of Ferrari Carano and get inspired. Yanni, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on Served
1: Up. Yes, uh, Julia. it's been not that long since we last talked, but I'm excited to just talk to you more today about all the things good about social capital, women empowerment, anything and everything that we're going to talk about on Served Up today.
0: Yes. I am so excited because, you know, as you said, we've just met. God, when did we meet? Like, I think it was a few weeks ago or a month ago, September. Oh, my God. Time just flies. Um, How serendipitous, as you say, that we sat next to each other at the FIU School of Business Power Up Seminar, and um, we're going to get to that, but uh, it was just so great to be able to sit next to you, meet you. And here we are with you on our podcast, sharing your story. So let's back up a few years. Tell me, tell our listeners more about you. Where do you come from? Where did you grow up? What was your family like? And how did you get to where you are today?
1: Oh my goodness. This is like the, tell me about yourself question on an interview. And it's like, which, which side of the story do I want to tell? So yes. uh, And I don't want the (laughs) resume yet. The resume (laughs) comes. I want to know who is this woman as a human being? Love Mm -hmm. it. So for the listeners that are just either driving in or whatever, or even popping, you can pop in popcorn, but essentially, so here, here's my story and, and a little bit about me. So I am proud uh to be born and raised here in Miami, Florida. I am Cuban American, so first generation Latina uh from from Cuba. So my parents were born there and I and I grew up here in Miami. And um, you know, I my background and just the, the way that I grew up, I'm an only child, uh, and all my first cousins are female. So I have a really interesting story of like, when people tell me, you know, how did you grow up and what did that look like? I have a really interesting story of like, I grew up around really powerful women. I grew up around my grandmother, Abuela Fifi, my mom, my first cousins that were all girls. So we were just like this little, like this girl crew going around and, and, you know, really disrupting things is what I would like to say. And so I think that that's probably... Part of when I, you know, in the way that I grew up, um, disruption was definitely a natural piece. Uh, we have the saying in in Spanish that is um the saying in Spanish is, is, you know, calladita te ves más bonita. And that really essentially translates to when you are quiet, you're you're prettier. Uh, so it isn't saying silent. And I just didn't really. subscribe to that. And I was really as far as even going to church with my grandmother and things like that. I used to question and I was curious. I was a curious kid. I'm still a curious adult questioning things of why they were the way they were. I didn't really accept status quo. And so if I were to kind of just encapsulate my childhood and what has led me into my corporate, my, my even entrepreneurial journey, it's disruption and challenging status quo is, is at the foundation and so that's just kind of like the story of what i'd like to
0: share of you know who i am and and how i've come to be essentially that's amazing i love it disruption you know and and i think we have that in similar because i grew up around a lot of women as well you know my mm-hmm. mom her sisters my cousin there were you know i have a brother and i have a couple um boy cousins, but it was really around a lot of strong women. And I think Mm. there's, there's something to that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's great. Born and raised in Miami, you're Mm -hmm. still here. You're making lots of moves in South Florida. So what was school like for you? Um, you know, and, and then as you went into kind of higher education, where did your passion come and what direction did that take you?
1: You know, it's so interesting school for me. So I am a, you know, just True public school girl. I went public school all the way from my elementary school years to middle to high to even to even college. Miami Dade um, alumna and then FIU um, FIU alumna. So I'm very much like. Miami true and true. And I love that. I, I, really I like go Miami Dade public schools. Yes, I am very much like Miami true and true. And I have to say, it's so funny because my, my husband, so my husband is a Miami implant. Um, so he, he came and let, and we, we actually met on a political campaign and we can talk a lot about that if we'd like, and go down that rabbit hole, but I will share with you, you know, he's, he was born in DC. He's, I'm um, East Puerto Rican and then grew up in Tampa. And I say this because there is the category of a, the, you know, those Miamians who were born and raised and decided to come in, you know, a lot of us, I think I, I subscribe to me, you know, I, I subscribe to the philosophy in, in school where I, I loved where I, I, I love where I, I grew up. And I really want to take it to that next step and to the next generation of what Miami will be. Because I remember even going through school, I was highly involved. I mean, think about this is an only child um, co- growing up in Miami. And if we want to start thinking about even like the, the connotations of the barriers and not only that, but layer that into first generation and then the expectations of like the immigrate the immigrant story, right? And the legacy story. I think a lot of times what I was ingrained with besides um, you know, is legacy is is what, you know, the motivation to get up in the morning is how am I going to be better than the me yesterday, but more importantly, how am I going to like my parents and my grandparents came to this country for better, for betterment for, to further, you know, what their children, what their grandchildren will be. So it's almost like they ran that race, they passed the baton and now it's my, my turn to like, take it as far as I go. And so I think the first generation story, and that's what I love about, you know, locals in Miami and and what we are, are like, because it's, it's that, that pride and that grit and that hunger of like, how are we going to again, run fast and like, you know, run as fast as we can to accelerate where we can be so that the next generation, you know, here's your turn to do it. And so I think about like the way that I grew up in that regard. I think to me, I grew up in a very competitive environment in a sense of, and I loved competition. I mean, my dad used to instill in me, um, right before we would go to dinner, like he would race me to the dining table for dinner. Like he would be like, all right, ready, set, go five, four, three, two, one. And then let's go. And and it was this competitive spirit. I think that that becomes of like the betterment of who we are. And so, you know, that's like the foundation of how I grew up. And then, you know, in school, I didn't really know, you know, if you, if you told me how many times I wanted to go into different directions, at one point I wanted to do marine biology. I one other point. I was like, I'm going to be a pediatric cardiologist. It was like this whole myriad of things. And then I, what I, what I really and I think I've I really figured it out. Um, Julie and what I, what I really love to do was really frankly, run my mouth, run my mouth, talk, and close deals so those are the two things that I that I found out um that I'd love to do so my my undergrad was really focused on I was on the debate team in college and in high school and all these kind of I was involved in extracurriculars and all the things but um talking making my point being like that was that was appealing to me and then I took a natural phase into um sales. So sales and the way that you know what closing deals was like brokering and forming relationships. Like that's what I love to do. I loved connecting people. I loved connecting the dots. I love taking complex things and simplify si- simplifying them, right? So those were like the passions I ended up kind of going into. I majored um in college in political science and women's studies. And then I went into, you know, worked in corporate for, for a while before I went back to get my, my professional MBA and, um, you know, ended up graduating with my MBA and, and, um, ended up like just going into that business side of what I'd like to do. So that's kind of a little bit about what my foundation was and then involvement of my, uh, of, of my career. Yeah.
0: That is so great. I mean, I, I just love everything you're saying, you know, I mean, First, you know, it's just that recognition to the public school system. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's so important. My son is now, you know, for the last two years, this is his second years in public school. We kept him in, he was in private school up until fifth grade. And it was something we knew we wanted to trans, um, transition him into. And it's been just mm-hmm. one of the best experiences for us and getting involved. And, you know, yeah. he's now student representative for the sixth grade. So I love, it. Um, I love that you're saying that you were involved in, and all those different things cuz that just reinforces you know i think having that great experience while you're in school is so important
1: absolutely i feel that and and just to harp a little on the public school system i think so many in this temperament and this climate you know public school systems get a bad rap or whatever it is and then there's a lot of perception i do think obviously there's a lot of investment that should continue to, you know, public schools is the core and foundation of this country in the way that, you know, kids um, get educated. But more importantly, the, the biggest asset that we have are the teachers, the frankly, the, those, those angels of human beings that are dedicating themselves to frankly, foundationally forming, you know, civilized and, you know, contributing humans to society and these are the people who are frankly in your formative years and I, it, I I, have a number of incredible public school teachers that I can still remember with such joy that frankly you know took a you know a little girl from you know the I would say the of like this is you know this is like now Spanglish but essentially southwest Miami-Dade and you know instilled confidence instilled Um, and still just, you know, saw the potential of what I could be. And, you know, teachers have such a huge, huge, huge piece of forming this, the confidence that students see in themselves and their work. Right. And so it's a matter of how, you know, those are the individuals and I, and I have such pride in the educational system. I, I think you might know this as well that I, you know, I'm an adjunct professor at FIU and, you know, part of what I do, not only, you know, in the business, but as I teach at FIU is like, how do we take and how do we empower back the students within, within um, the educational system? But more importantly, how do we instill that confidence in them, in them so that they can become better? There's so much that's going on right now. And we can probably talk Mm -hmm. at, uh, at ends for this, but there's so much that's going on right now with Mental health, anxiety, and things, and people feeling frankly lots of doubt and you know teachers, professors, educators, and even you know in the workplace, even if you're not a form, you know a formal title of a teacher, uh, bosses, employers, supervisors have this ability to be empower and enable in a positive way their the people that are looking up to them, how they're supervising them, but how they're teaching them. Um, how they're mentoring, how they're sponsoring. And so it's teaching is ingrained in everything, whether it's form, you know, formal, like in
0: public school systems or within the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And that lasting impact that you can have on one's life, it's, it's so critical. And, you know, I think as you mentioned, just the climate that we're in, it's, it's really sad that, you know, and, and frankly, I'll just be honest, but for political reasons that the, the teachers and, and the school systems are being questioned and, and it's really because outside of, you know, where ban books or do this or don't do this or say this and don't say mm-hmm. that it's ultimately they are really, you know, um, there and, and helping with those foundational skills for our children, you know, and, and I think COVID showed us that, that, when everything shut down who who was making sure that the kids still had breakfast and lunch you know and right. now even at my my son's public school breakfast mm-hmm. and lunch are still free so that yeah. those funds come from somewhere you know and yeah. and it's just a struggle and i just wish that as a society we could support and empower our schools and our teachers more because their impact and what they do for the children mm-hmm. and and the mm-hmm. community and society is yeah is so you know um it, it, they're not they're so much more deserving of mm-hmm. so much and absolutely. and i think that you know the more we can recognize that and, and continue supporting them the better right.
1: right absolutely absolutely and i think that it's just a matter of how you you know how you I think empathy has a lot of a lot to play here in the way that we, you know, there's so many times that we are and here's here's what I'm thinking about, even just like, you know, reflective how we reflect on the last two years that we've had. Right. We are about to go into the The third year of this new decade, right, 2023, and the first two years we've been managing and you know managing a pandemic. Lots of things have changed. Lots of things have happened. One of the things I will tell you that I that I was grateful for in the pandemic that I slowly see me almost kind of like slipping back into where was that? It took a minute when the world stopped in 2020. To just sit back and almost audit the things that I wanted to do and the things that were hard nose that I was like, no, I am i don't have literally the mental capacity to do any more of this. Right. Or and I, I say it, it's slowly slipping in because I think as the world has opened up and, and more so, you know, this year, twenty twenty two. It's almost like the schedule now is, 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 is more packed than ever. The, the, um, we're still now going back to like the habits of like going back to back. And, and the reason I even preface this and, and my point here is the fact that with empathy, before the world stopped, we were just kind of like on this hamster wheel and we kept going and going and going and we weren't even thinking about like, what's something else going through at this time or what prevented them? Like, for example, I'll be sitting in traffic and granted, sometimes people are distracted on their phones or what have you. And the light turns green and immediately I get a honk because like I didn't step on the accelerator and fast enough. And part of me, it's like, before I honk at someone, I'm like, you know what? Let me just give them like some space. Maybe they're just like, maybe they're processing information that, you know, a loss of a family member or they're processing other things that are happening or they're contemplating a difficult conversation that they're about to have. Why does it always have to come from a assumption place of it being like, to impact you in a negative way, right? And so I think that if there was more empathy in place, not you know, not only for teachers, right, teachers being part of that group, but for others in the way that they're you know showing up, that we would be in a different, we would be in a different scenario, and being more intentional about you know choosing our words, choosing our interactions, but more importantly, choosing the way that we show up.
0: Yeah, no, a hundred. I mean, a hundred percent. I think empathy gets tossed around a lot. Now, but yeah, when the world shut down, it, it it really gives you a different perspective. I can tell you mm-hmm. that, you know, as somebody that traveled all the time, right? I was one of those, it's like, get out of my way, you're not moving fast enough. Let me get right. on there, you know. I want to be first on, first off, you know. And I was like, <laughs> I was like a bull. Now I'm like, <laughs> I am so calm. I sit back, I let people go, I help the mom with the bit. and I just have such a better experience in my travels because you yes. know it's you realize that people traveling that it's a very vulnerable you're very vulnerable you know and, it is. And, and it's, it's stressful. It's high stress, especially, you know, you don't want to tick off the flight attendants because God forbid you'll get kicked off the plane, you know? Right, so right. there's a lot going on, but I love that you say that because I can tell from me, my, my travels mm-hmm. are so much more pleasant just because not that anybody's changed around me, but just because yeah. my approach has changed yeah. and I'm not this, like, I mean, I still try to like get on first and get off first, oh, but of I'm not like, knocking people over maybe like,
1: right. Right. But it's before (laughs) it's also like, you know, it's so funny because one of the, and, and good Lord, if anybody is listening from New York, I have to just share, (laughs) um, I want to preface, I love my family. I have number of family members in New York. I love, love the city of New York. And I'm going to say, but, but, and I will say there will, there'll be times that I used to travel a lot for, for work and we would go go to New York. And if I was there for, a, we would go like at a week's time, maybe a week and a half, whatever. And if I was there for a week at the beginning of the week, if you were to evaluate my mental state and just like my aggressiveness, it would be one side of the equation versus at the end of the week <laughs> where I was just like, I lo- like I had no tolerance. I had zero, zero, like my, my barometer broke. Um, and I had no tolerance after that piece. So it's almost like, how do you, you know what it is? It's so funny. I just, so I'll tell you my, I had a good friend yesterday. I, I'm, I'm part of this um, women's, uh, this women's group, this uh, National Association of Women Business Owners wh- where I'm uh, co-president of right now. Mm. And um, we, were, we had a meeting yesterday and one of the members was talking about how in her, her grandchild, um, there is this now feelings teacher that is embedded in their learning. And it's a matter of how do you self-regulate your emotions, right? So Mm. she was talking about how her four-year-old grandchild said to her, you know, you know, grandma, I just, I'm feeling really frustrated and I'm feeling out of control. (laughs) So it was like, it was one of those things of like, you know, girl, I hear you. I'm feeling pretty frustrated and out of control right now. And I think the reason I say this is because you know how do we self regulate our emotions right and you know how do we how do we go into that scenario of just like you know like the travel i feel like i used to sit in this you know in this tin tin uh tin box or whatever in the sky. And I think to myself that civility as we know it is out the window here. Like there's no civility or courtesy or formal politeness that occurs when, um, when we are taxing into the terminal and all of a sudden you hear the ding that the, and then you're, you know, you're literally, your seatbelt comes off and you're like right standing up in the aisle. And you know, I feel like it's like, how do you self-regulate those emotions, but also keep yourself in, in check, right? You know, maybe whether it's breathing techniques or, you know, just kind of be present in the moment of like, why am I feeling this way? Do I really need to react this way? Or can I just take a step back and take, you know, a little bit more patience to your point, right? Like in your experience now, what, how you've done it yourself.
0: Yeah. I think that's really important is, is being aware of what is it that we're feeling. Right. And it's okay to feel Frustrated or impatient, or right, but at least recognizing that, mm-hmm. and then you can make those adjustments. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I love that she said that. I think I need to be mm-hmm. a little bit more open with how I'm feeling, <laughs> right?
1: Right, like a feelings teacher. Can you imagine just like coming in? I'm like, where where's my feelings teacher? Because I feel like a lot of times, and this is the reality, like as a first generation, just immigrant, and everything else, you are you're like, you're told to kind of suppress and hold on, like, hey like we don't have a minute to feel our feelings, right? We got, we got, we got things to do, right. Mm -hmm. You know, for lack of a better term, you know, we got, we got things to do and we, we don't have this time to process and this and that and feel and be in our emotions and move, you know? And so you have to almost like, you know, there's, can we self-regulate and like can we acknowledge how we're feeling for a second Take a step back instead of just continuing to always push push, push forward and it's it's a it's a little bit of a balance of those things, you know
0: yeah and and I think when you ignore feeling and you know and and I'm so glad this is the, the conversation's going this way because all the work that you do you know for woman advocacy, woman in business uh the win woman all that stuff and and I want to know is that something that I ponder over all the time is like don't be emotional. Don't have feelings. Be, and I'm like, but I'm a human, you know, I am not a robot. And I feel like as woman and, and our generation, definitely the generations before me, you know, when I think of my mother and, and then kind of, you know, just the women that have come before me, it's like, in order to, ex- to excel in your career, in order to move up, it was, you had to act more like a man right so yeah. whether it was finding suits or or downplaying your femininity um and at one point like really not being emotional not being dramatic and and i have a hard time when people say well take the emotion out of it and i'm like but i'm a human you're telling me not to be human and and what is the difference between emotion or passion right like i'm <laughs> very passionate how i feel i i have a strong belief in that so or it could one interpret that as being emotional you know and and i think that there's this bad rap that when people say you're emotional it's like it's mm-hmm. it's very demeaning and i mm-hmm. think that it's it's telling you to not be a human and to just put on this mask yeah. so i'd love to know kind of what you think about that as woman mm-hmm. being told don't be dramatic. Don't be emotional. Don't be this, you know? And, um, but then, you know, with, with what you're saying is we all have feelings, right? We have emotions. I mean, that's what sets us apart from animals, even though I do feel like, I think my dog definitely has emotions and, you know, I'm very sensitive to that, but you know, how do, instead of saying, don't be this way, how do you, like you just said, how do you embrace what you're feeling? and understand what you're feeling and then make those decisions from there. So I'd love to just kind of hear what where your thoughts are around that.
1: Oh my goodness, there's so much to say there with with there's so much golden juiciness that you just dropped in the sense of <laughs> what this topic is all about. So I I'm going to tell you and just say and and I'll get back to you on the scientific source of this cuz I've heard this and it's scientifically proven. So we cannot physically take out emotion because actually we are emotional beings period like that to say take the emotion out of it is actually physically not possible we cannot physically take the emotion out of anything we can suppress it we can call it bottle it down but then how i see it and listen this might be a really um embrace yourself for impact what i'm about to say maybe it's not a it's not a, a very um, poised way to say it, but the reality is, is I believe that if you decide that you don't want to, you don't know how to handle or process your emotions, and you want to bottle them up, then you are going to be emotionally incompetent. And that, to me, emotional incompetence, there's just no space for, for emotional incompetence in this new world. And I think that that's the reality of it. I think post, you know, post pandemic and this new reality of where we are, we're at, um, suppressing emotions, you know, pushing it down, not talking about it is coming from a very antiquated space. And it also is coming from a space of, you know, you, it's coming from a very, like, it's just out of touch, Right. So for managers or people or like, you know, tough up or whatever, I do think that there is, again, always a balance of things. Right. You know, if 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 you're feeling and there's there's like a period of time and we have lapses. Right. There's periods of time where you you need to take a step back from a project. It's better for you to communicate those pieces without having. So you can process what you're you're what, what's happening, what's going on in the outside space. And then step back into it when you're ready and to be a self-aware person leader and come from a space of like, you know what, at this time I've recognized that I no longer am my best self. If I continue to push myself at this, in this way, I'm going to take a step back for a second when I enable empower you to take the lead on this and I'll, I'll return give me, give me a day or give me an hour or give me whatever it is. I I will tell you also like the line of thinking that I'm processing as, as you're sharing this too, is the fact that, you know, I struggle with this um, day in and day out. Right. I, it's almost like I'm on this uh, treasure hunt or like, it's like the Holy grail. And for me, I think everybody has their own Holy grail of what they're looking for. Right. But for me, the Holy grail, of what I've always been, Really fascinated to digest, dissect, and see patterns in is like these highly successful people, right? These major CEOs, ultra unicorn businesses. Um billionaires, whatever it is, like the Oprah Winfrey. to name all the people that you want to name. You probably have a person that you look you look up to. And those of you who are listening, those of you who are looking up to someone, right? Part of me, I've always my girl, my holy grail of like, I want to, I want to find out the secret formula of what is it like, what's their routine look like? What, how are they waking up, like wake up at five o'clock in the morning and this is what we're doing. We're meditating. Like you know, I'm going to tell you this is exactly what my process is. I, I, I wake up every day at 4:30 in the morning. Right. It's just naturally my, my rhythm of like that. That's just, I, I don't have, I don't have an alarm. That's just naturally how I wake up. And there was a period of time that I was in this pattern, right. Where I was like, all right, I wake up, I meditate, I pray, I journal, I, um, I exercise. I read like it was like a matter of like it was almost formulated because this is what successful people do. Right. This is like get up in the morning, do all these kind of things. And then the pandemic hit and I was like and I started to do it. And, then I, and I'm just a natural, again, disruptor. Right. Of the status quo and everything else. And I just I rebelled. Julie. I, I rebelled because I was like, I'm like, no, today I don't feel like it. I'm tired of journaling. I'm tired of, of like my gratitude journal. Yes. I'm gratitude. I'm, I'm breathing and I'm alive, but like, I'm tired of it. Like, I, I just want to feel tired today. And I don't want to do this, this rhythm. And so I feel this way because it's like, you know, feeling emotions for such a long time. And I, I love Brene Brown. Brene Brown is an incredible emotional intelligence researcher and a number of things that she's, she's researched, right. Um, she's fantastic. And, and one of the things that, you know, she's, she, if you haven't all captured her, she did an incredible talk on vulnerability um, a year, years ago and things like that. But most recently in her latest book, um, Atlas um, to the heart, I believe that's the name. I, don't quote me on that, but her latest book, you know, she's talking about a little bit about, you know, a lot of times when people tell you to feel, the only emotions that are okay to feel are good emotions, and then you suppress the remainder like you you suppress emotions like um like envy emotions like disappointment, emotions like bittersweet you you it's almost like you don't we we don't get to feel those things, and it's just it's unrealistic because again scientifically as I mentioned, she actually might have been the one that mentioned it as i as I'm thinking through it you can't be, you can't lack emotion. And if you do lack emotion, I believe that, that there is a, there's a mental health, um, challenge at that point. And there's, you need, you need to seek it. There's not physically, you can't do that just to suppress and, and to almost like embargo, um, these negative feelings, quote unquote, right. Is almost like we're, we're, we're going against what's natural. Right. So if, if, what i see it as almost julie is you know how can you set better boundaries frankly and set better self awareness like one be self aware but two set boundaries with others and say and say you know i'm going to need a minute i'm going to need i'm i'm going to need to take a minute to step away and just kind of literally remove yourself whether it's in a you're in a room and it's you know in a hostel or whatever it is just to step a minute to take a step back and recognize that You can't be, we're not robots here. Mm -hmm. You can't be like doing this um, over and over, repeating this, you know, repeating this routine um, and not, you know, not reacting. There's things that are going to come at you, you know, from different spaces, environmental things that are going to happen, hurricanes, crisis, whatever it is. um, And you can't feel like there's, there's no compassion for yourself or even just the pressure that you put on other people to feel these things. So that's just my, where I'm going in my head and the way that you asked that question.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that you're saying that because I think as we get taught, right. Um, because everybody's saying, you know, don't be emotional or, or, you know, calling people emotional and, and it does tend to, to be with women, but I've also seen in the workplace where it. They'll say it about other men and it's meant mm-hmm. like, oh, you're not being a man because you're being emotional. God forbid, you know, you're being right. like a woman. But then again, I hear it also from, from women, right. Saying, mm-hmm. oh, just take the emotion because we're, we're taught that, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think where I like to challenge people is we're hearing now more than ever that the number one capability of a leader is empathy. Yeah. Right. So we know that that works. We know that empathy works, but yet we're still saying cut out the emotion. So I think (laughs) the more that we have this open dialogue, and then we also realize that, and, and we recognize that emotional, you know, EQ, right. Emotional intelligence is more Mm -hmm. important than ever. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you say that it's like, Oh, if it's good emotion and you're excited and happy, then yes, please do that. share. Yeah, do that. Do but that. if it's a negative emotion, bottle it up, take it away. Right. We don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. And, right. and and to me, I think that that's what that builds resentment, right? And I right. think I think when you talk about boundaries, it's okay if my leader has to keep telling me, you know, and I'm not saying me, but I'm just maybe somebody that is being told stopping emotional, stopping emotional. And, and maybe that's negative. You know, I think that's where you're saying, put up those guardrails. Maybe mm-hmm. what is causing that negative emotion all the time? Like, look at that. Like, what is that, that right. root of the problem, not the outcome that's causing these emotions, but what is, you know, um, what's happening before that. And, and maybe that's where the guardrails need to come. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I almost like, you know, we've kind of come into this topic, you know, this, you know, as, as we're as we're talking this um, this afternoon and, and, and as we're kind of talking through these things, we've come into this topic of just really, frankly, emotional intelligence. And there's so many different components of emotional intelligence, whether it's literally there is five components of it, right? There is like that social skills, right? There's a self-regulation. We talked about self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and self-awareness. Like these are all the things that make an emotionally intelligent person and, and under the scope of emotional intelligence, I also just feel like, you know, a a very interesting example that this happens all the time in just corporate meetings. Like you have your weekly meetings of what's happening or even as team meetings that, you know, as an entrepreneur, a small business owner, what have you. Right. You have meetings with your team and that sort of thing. And there are outside things happening. Right. You know, like, for example, whether it's. social justice, things that have been happening in the last couple of years, these series of of news and events that are happening, things that happen in your local community, what have you. And it's almost like. You not addressing the elephant in the room, or are we just not going to just say anything about anything at this time, or we're not even going to just at least hold space for a second um, before we get into the meeting agenda and the deliverables of what we're working on and whatever metrics that we're working on. I mean, how are we holding some space for team members? Right. And also my, my biggest takeaway with emotional intelligence is, especially with self-awareness is a matter of like, how are you reading the room? How are you coming into situations, whether environments, we all feel it. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have felt mm-hmm. ever at one point or another, people who are listening to this later on have felt where, you know, that when you walk into a room, like if it's, it's like, Ooh, it's really heavy. It's like, you can feel like you can literally feel that you can, you can say, Oh, people are, you know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's negative or excitement. Mm-hmm. Like you can feel, you can read the room in those like opposite ends of the spectrum, but. How are we consistently reading the room, like in the way that engagement happens, right? Um, how are we reading the room when we feel like, you know, we talk about the fact that right now it's been happening for years. It's not right now. They just decided to, to coin it, but you know, this quiet quitting that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's been happening for years. People have yeah. just taken a step back and quiet quitting is, is just literally people are burnt out and they're just like, I'm done. Right, so this mm-hmm. is what happening. what happens? You don't quiet quit when you start a job and you're excited about this new job. you start quiet quitting because you're burned out, and that's what ends up happening but i say I say this with with now this coined of what's happening right now, it's like how are you recognizing some of these signs as a leader in your teams of you know when you're noticing signs of apathy when you're noting noticing signs of people disengaging, not talking a little bit more how are you? noticing these pieces and like stopping whatever it is the agenda because guess what you know we're going through a talent war it's been going on for a while and people frankly Julie have options right so it's a matter of like retaining your current talent is about how are you meeting them where they're at and how are you actually causing whatever the daily like the business as usual and just literally Connecting with people or, or or quite frankly this is a this is a um, unconventional thing, but resetting goals and priorities to address the immediate need of whatever your team needs from you, so I think about that because that's a lot about you know being emotionally intelligent to be able mm-hmm. to again pivot those ways, yep
0: yeah, exactly I mean as you know there's there's so much going on right I mean we come out of covid working from home, back to the office, more and more You know, people going to the office. So it's like, okay, we're all here, now what, right? Everybody just go to their desk and, and grind or are we really gonna take that opportunity because it's so important to bring people together to actually be people and hear yeah. from our people and to maximize that time that we're together, right? I think one of the things is like, everybody just kind of wants to go back to what it was before where everybody Mm -hmm. shows up, you see them, but everybody kind of goes in and goes and gets buried into their office, into their computer screen. And, Mm -hmm. and we're back to normal. It's not normal. Right? So we're back, we're together. We're in real life. How do we maximize that? How do we just look at each other and say, how are you doing? Yeah. What is going on? How can I help you? How can I help you thrive? How can I inspire you Mm -hmm. to want to put your best foot forward and to be excited about the work work that you do and the, the contribution?
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's so interesting. Like the first thing that pops into my mind every time I'm thinking about like the, um, you know, even like the language I used to think of like a return to work, right? Like as if people weren't already working a hundred hour weeks, I remember thinking to myself, like some of this language that was happening, um, you know, as this transition has been occurring, but you know what, I'm going to just share with you, um, my initial impressions of the reason why, Um, sometimes managers and and corporations want to return to normal is because in order, because you actually have to make an effort to build a relationship with your team in this new environment. So normal would be, oh, it's easy for everybody to come here come to me making an effort in trying to meet your team where you're at in this new environment. Is, is there, it takes effort, Julie, it takes effort to actually meet your team where they are. It takes effort to, to really change is hard. And I recognize that, but it's a matter of like, how are we growing together? And, and frankly, coming to the, the reality that it's not going to go back to that. And it's a matter of how you, you know, fix into what the new, the future of work is going to be right. When we're talking about now millennials make up the majority of the workforce and the influx of, you know, generation Z and then, you know, the millennial generation are are taking on, you know, some more of that personality of what's some of these demands essentially of what, um, what are happening. And I'll, I'll be candid for the, for the listeners and for you, I am I'm, I'm a millennial, so I'm an elder, Elder millennial um, in that in that regard, and 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 I will share with you. We we were you know noted for so long of like oh you know how dare these people? They don't want to work all these hours, and <laughs> they they stand up for themselves to ask for more pay, and like you know these are all things that I, I think about even now when I as I was going for internships, and then this is just a, like the generational pieces of what, frankly, every generation adds and contributes to society. It's not just millennial and, and Gen Z, um, Generation X and, and and boomers and beyond. But I, it's so funny because I remember my first, inter- all my first internships were, I was an unpaid intern, like unpaid, like that's that's just free labor. That, that doesn't happened. happen anymore, I don't think. And it think. doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't. No, in fact, it's illegal. Like you, yeah. you should not. Right. And so I think about that because I think that we got to the point where we complained so much um, on our generation of like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I'm I'm having a full time job and all this kind of stuff. And there is like this generational like um, paying your dues and like all this kind of stuff. And then we were like, no, this is ridiculous. Why, why are we doing this? We were, again, disrupting that status quo. And I think now, you know, you're talking about the generation now. Well, there is no type of unpaid internship anymore. Right. You know, the U S department of labor actually doesn't recognize that, right. It's a matter of like, you need to be able to compensate individuals for work and labor, which to be honest, it's like, it's like, Oh, it's such a novel concept to like mm-hmm. get paid for what you know to work. But, but that's the kind of thing where you're thinking about, you know, again, this evolving piece and, you know, effort essentially effort needs to be made and i also just think and i and i realize that leaders just need to also come to grips with the fact of like you know it's okay to not know everything and i think it's almost okay to be vulnerable enough to recognize and say you know team right now it's really difficult for us to come back to the office and And, you know, we're trying to figure out what works best for the team. I'm not going to, I'm not all knowing. So we're going to be, you know, we're going to be on a bumpy road because I'm learning with you to see, to meet you where you're at. And we're going to just try some things, right? Like come Mm -hmm. from a place of like, I make mistakes too. And, and own that piece versus a place of like, everything needs to be. Perfect and and presentable before we. Pre- pre- and and we, I'm all knowing as a manager or a leader to lead a team effectively that way.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think with that vulnerability, with that type of dialogue right that's what builds that trust that mutual dr- trust you know and and be able to talk those things out and 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 i think you're 100% right i'm i'm right there at the cusp of um gen x and millennial and and Xenial. i remember i'm a Xennial yeah and um xennial or whatever but i i remember that generation, you know, and I think more bold was you know the years that that came after me is um is questioning everything right mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up where you do what you say, that's it, children speak to children, stay out of it, adults speak here, you know the good thing with you know my mom and growing up so close to my mom and and korean and and learning the language is I really got to be in law lo- involved in a lot of that dialogue, you know yeah. and and it's you know, just being empowered to question. And I think you're absolutely right. This new generation of, of that, the younger workforce coming out is nothing is, you know, regardless of what the processes and systems or ways of working were before it's a new world, you know, and this new talent is coming in and it's not necessarily how much am I making now? It's about culture. It's Mm -hmm. about work environment. It's about Mm -hmm. the people that, and you know, am I going to be challenged? Am I going to be able to contribute? What Mm -hmm. is the value that I offer? It's all of these qualitative things that, that make people engaged and want to put their best foot forward. And it's not just rigid, quantitative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, it just becomes also the fact that like, this is where you invest in and this is where I see the future of work as well. I mean, I, we, you know, we have a business and, and we, you know, we, we are, we're a team of, you know, we're a growing team of of 12 individuals and we have about twenty-seven different specialists and subcontractors that work with our business, um, and our, we're in the social impact business, essentially. Right, we're impacting corporations in CSR and ESG, and we're working with nonprofit organizations in really furthering and developing their fundraising techniques and how they're raising capital for their organizations. And so I say this because, you know, I had this conversation with you know our nonprofit clients, and all the time in the sense of how you're retaining talent, right. And this talent pool. And and I'll tell you as a a big employer, right. I have the spectrum of, of generations on our team with the majority, actually the majority of my team members being, um, being generation Z, right. And it's interesting because the reality that I've noticed, and this is where I've just come to grips with was, is the fact that Generation Z and as a like a profile of just all this piece, right? And here's the thing, I'm also very much, because I'm a professor, uh, an adjunct professor at FIU, um, I have an opportunity of just kind of seeing the generations in action, right? In the way that they kind of are molding and like this, like the brain the brain of the generation in a way um, in a very, very limited scope, right? In a usually immigrant, that, that type, there's a number of things, first generation, population type scope. Um, but I one of the things that I'm realizing is like, how are you, you know, The game here that we're playing to retain talent is how do we build loyalty, right? And building loyalty is not just like, how do you instill loyalty? And to me, I will tell you foundationally, um, when I think about values and when I look for team members, is like, how am I going to, it's a two-way street here. And it's more so on me to continuously make the case on why you should be loyal to us, right? Why should you pour in your efforts, your talents, your expertise? to us and not the other way around, right. Mm -hmm. And not the other way around. And, and I say that because I am very cognizant, right. There's, there's team members of mine who, who work on our, who work on our team and I'm super grateful for, and they, they also have their own business and we're just transparent about that. And it's a matter of like asking those questions, like, Hey, how's it going for your business here? And can I, we just, I just saw somebody that I want to connect you to and refer you to, and like building that, Ecosystem of like it doesn't need to be in this box of mm-hmm. this is just the only role that you play in your life is the work that you're doing for me. Whereas there's so many different hats that my team plays, whether they're mothers, whether they're parents, they're um whether they're daughters, or siblings, they're they're business owners. They're also here. Like there's so many different roles that and labels and things that they play roles. I say wor- roles, not labels, but roles mm-hmm. that they play. And it's almost like, how can we meet them at those roles and, and frankly, just have an open, transparent conversation because a, a lot of times, you know, the workplace, and I say pre-pandemic, cause I do think it's, it's that pre-pandemic, it was like this assumption of like, well, this is your end all be all. And mm-hmm. From, you know, I know we're we're both sales gals, right? We come from mm-hmm. that industry where it's very cutthroat, frankly, mm-hmm. cutthroat. You're as good as your last sale. <laughs> That's exactly it. You're good as your last sale. What's what have you done for me lately? Right. Like we we almost don't even celebrate um our wins long enough, right? We close a big account and then we're we're moving on to the next one, right? Even from that space, you have to kind of come from the place of like, pausing and just, you're just thinking, taking inventory of, okay, like, yes, you're not just this. Right. And I, and I say that because in that industry, in that space room for those sales gals and sales gentlemen that are also living in there, um, sales, right. This industry is a 24-7, 365 job. Because I know that if a client called me or an account called me or a donor, when I was raising money, called me, on a Saturday night at 8 PM. And I was, I knew that I was going to solicit them for a gift, or I know that that was going to close them. I was going to pick up the phone. There was no boundaries. Mm -hmm. There was no anything. And it was a matter of just like, you gotta also, you gotta set the pace as the leader of those teams and as a leader in those industries and saying, no guys, come on, let's, let's, let's shut off the phones. Or, Hey, no, no, no calls over the weekend or over the holidays, but you're sending out emails at 11 PM at night. And, and of course there's anxiety that comes on that. Like you mm-hmm. can simply send that e- schedule to send that email, to go out tomorrow morning at eight, at mm-hmm. a reasonable time. Like we have scheduling systems. Now there's no excuse here to kind of create this corporate, um, or even business type anxiety to have this, like people need to respond now. Right. And, and that's the, that's the type of piece that we have to start thinking through, um, how we're leading teams these days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a totally different world. I mean, I was at an event a couple nights ago and, um, you know, one of the young ladies that we've become good friends, she, she works for the organization and, you know, she is definitely prime Gen Z mm-hmm. super successful, like, you know, running a a fund, a venture capital fund with like five of her college best friends, plus like has this athleisure company and, and has like a, you know, an RTD tequila go and doing all these things. Right. And it's, and, and it was funny because me and another woman we're talking to were like, oh my God, like this is the future that, you know, is having, and I love that you said that, right. It's not just expecting this hundred percent loyalty. Like I'm your one job. I'm the only person you work for instead. It's like, how can I help you with all the things you're doing? And, right. and we all work together to grow because I think that that is another shift that everybody, you know, people are going to have to get used to. And, and even myself, right. As, and as my son gets into the workplace and stuff, it's not just, what is that one job you're going to do? It's, right. What are the many different things you're going to do? What makes you happy? What pays the bills? What does this? And it's Mm -hmm. okay. And I think that as we get into this very tech-driven world um, where information is at your fingertips, where we can do a lot more um, Mm -hmm. than we've ever been able to do, why do we need to limit ourselves to just one?
1: Absolutely. And And I will share that also it's a matter of you know, even parents right now, parents, aunties, uncles, any, anybody who has an influence on, on youth, which a lot of us do, right. Or, or even your team members that you're, that you're cult that you're cultivating, that you're sponsoring, that you're mentoring, you got to take into consideration the fact that it's no longer. And I think about this, I have these conversations because I'm, I'm literally of all my, my first, my first cousins, uh, all our other our, all girls that I mentioned before. Right. Um, I'm I'm the one, I'm the only one that hasn't had uh, children just yet. Right. And um, we have these conversations all the time with how like parenting styles and things like that and everything else. And part of the piece of, of what expectations. So I go back because of the lane, the lens that I, that I, come from. Right. Um, the lens that I come from is my own shared experience as a first generation, you know, Latina from Miami, right. That that's my lens. And that's the, that's the, the preface, right. Of what I come from. Um, that legacy component was so big and powerful where it's like, you had to be something like something that was um, you know, prestigious, like, like a doctor, like an attorney, Mm -hmm. like a, like these, like all these things. Right. And I think, I think we share not, you know, culturally, you know, in the way that we've talked about cultural norms and and things, um, we share very much similar, like in that regard where it's like, you had this expertise, you have to be the the doctor, the lawyer, all these traditional jobs and everything else that fell was like, Almost like failure, not failure, mm-hmm. but that was, like, it's, it's extreme, but that's the reality of the pressures. And I think that we have to almost give a little bit of space now where, you know, kids are going through school and they, they finish, they finish high school and they might take a gap year. Right. I mean, God forbid if I if I were to have thought that at that at the point or on my end. But I think we're at a point with this new this next generation of the fact that it's okay to kind of figure out. I mean, is it is it really realistic at 18 to have it all figured out what you want to do like for the rest of your years? Like, I mean, is that realistic to put that pressure on an 18 year old? I mean, there's going to be people who might. Wanna do that first. And then there's gonna be people, you know, that that know and they they and there's people gonna be people are gonna have to figure it out. And I think that is if we're open as a society to knowing that people are gonna go through ebbs and flows and you know have chapters of where they're at, um, then that's when like I, I started my career in music. I was a performer. Uh, for before I was a performer and then I went into bit entrepreneurship Then I went, I mean, like I've had phases of, of my career and I think it's a matter of just coming from a space of acknowledging that people are, are within this chapter and if they've selected to be in your employee or they've selected to be part of your team, then let's enjoy that journey of them being part of the team versus having all these sets of expectations that they're going to be here for 10, 20 years um, and, and moving on that way.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love how you think and your approach and I just think it's it's so wonderful that you know you take all of that and and your passions to to really help that next generation and and all the work that you're doing and I feel like we have to have you back on and like have a part two because yes, love we to. only scratched the surface. And, but I think it was such good dialogue because there's been so much around this. And I think, you know, um, our listeners could get so many nuggets out of, you know, everything you shared and the conversation we had. And I appreciate you so much. And, you know, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I appreciate you, Julie. I think that it's been such a great conversation and thank you for having me here.
0: Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Killed the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. (laughs)